Congress, the President, the Supreme Court. We think of government and politics through the lens of what is happening in Washington. But we are far more affected by our local officials, community volunteers, and everyday citizens than anything decided in D.C. This podcast brings these stories to you through conversations with the people shaping our lives in our communities. I'm Jack Clett. Born and raised in South Jersey, I know firsthand the strength of our neighborhoods. At 16, I volunteered for my congressman, where I learned that constituent service is a primary responsibility of any elected official. Constituent service is another name for good government. These are the good stories of government doing good in our towns, our boroughs, our municipalities, our counties, our regions, our state. I'm Jack Lett, and this is For the Public. It's that time of year again, South Jersey, the holiday season, and this one promises to be unlike any other. I know my own traditions are a bit upended. The Christmas Eve brunch hosted by my mom, Christmas Eve with aunts and cousins, the Christmas Eve after party with even more family, all canceled this year. While my husband and I will still have our at-home traditions, Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, Christmas Day will bring even more changes, the cherished time with our friends, my in-laws, in-laws that I actually love to be around, by the way, the hugs, the love shared just by being close with others, all of that will be sacrificed in order to ensure a safe holiday season leading into 2021 where hope springs eternal, that we will leave 2020 and COVID-19 far in the rearview mirror. When we do emerge post-COVID, that is when we will fully see the impact on our communities. How many of the businesses we relied on, the restaurants that brought us together, the shops that brought us joy, how many of them will have closed indefinitely? Our downtowns are our lifeblood. They are home to our community gatherings, festivals, and celebrations. They add vibrantly to our culture and neighborhood identity. This is true in so many South Jersey communities, including two that will get special focus today, Collingswood and Hamilton. I sit down with representatives of both communities to discuss the urgency of supporting our downtown businesses this holiday season, while also celebrating the work of government officials and private citizens alike who invest so much in keeping our downtowns healthy and thriving. Jim Alley is mayor of the borough of Collingswood, New Jersey, a position he has held since 1997. Mr. Mayor, thanks for joining me for the public. Thanks. Happy to be here. Before we dive in, how are you? How's your family? How's everybody faring through this just crazy time? Uh, we're all doing well. Everybody's good. It is uh, crazy as an underestimation of what things have been, but um, it, things are as well as they can be expected. That is great to hear. Um, you should know that if you head down the 700 block of Linwood Ave, uh, that raucous, obnoxious laughter is likely me <laughs> outside with, uh, with our neighbors. Uh, we've been spending a lot more time with them. Um, I don't know if we're alone in that. I feel like uh, that folks have been spending a bit more time with, with their neighbors. Do you think that it's possible that we will look back on this and be able to find some good? Well, I, I think I think for sure there's always um, uh, there's always a benefit in doing things differently. Um, you're going to learn some things that you didn't know before, 
overall, I don't know that it's worth the trade, um, but there will be some things that we, um, you know, that we learn about ourselves, about our community, just, just in general, um, as we come out of this. Um, but I think the toll is, is really, um, it's just not bound, just not outweighed by, um, you know, the good that we're going to find in it. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. I mean, there are some folks who uh, have been hit tremendously hard. Uh, and in the last episode, we talked with folks about the Thanksgiving holiday and how some experience some empty chairs uh, at their tables. And it's hard. Uh, you're right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think the trade um, is, is worth it, is worth what we've been through. Uh, that said, if we can you know, connect a bit neighbor to neighbor, uh, that, that is indeed always a good thing. Uh, and Collingswood has a bit of a history of that, I feel. Um, it's, a, it's, it's where you want to be, <laughs> as, as they say. Uh, you've been around for a bit, uh, Mr. Mayor. Uh, can yeah. you give us an idea of, from your perspective, how do you think Collingswood has, evo- has evolved since 1997, your, your, when you started your first term, to now? Well, I, I, so when I started my first term as mayor, I'd actually been a commissioner for eight years already. Um, so I've been around for a long while. Um, we've, we, we've been able to take our business district and um, slowly grow it into um, a new uh, downtown, uh, even though its bones are old. Um, and with that, also work to try to spread that throughout all the neighborhoods. Um, to kind of remake um, what our neighborhoods were. Um, we've, we did a lot of work at like trying to get build, you know, single family houses that were built to be single family houses back to being single family houses. Um, we've done our work to attract a lot of different businesses in and it's kind of evolved and all together. And I'll tell you, one of the things I point to is, is 9-11. Um, I really think that just like you're, you're touching on with the pandemic, I think after 9-11, maybe not as pronounced um, as, as the impacts that will be from this time, mm-hmm. but I do believe that there was a real shift um, back to looking to be more community-oriented, more home-based. Um, I, I trace that back to say like the beginning of the drop-off of uh, we're not looking to go to a five-star Michelin fancy restaurant, and we're really more comfortable in a BYOB that's close to home. Um, I, I I feel that that's been a, a shift, and all of those things have been helpful for us because we're we're an old school. Our bones are old school, and it's let us put some new life into those old bones. There might be some folks, believe it or not. Who may be a little bit unfamiliar <laughs> with okay uh, with our with our fine. I find that hard to believe. I don't think <laughs> so. Me too. Um, could you take some time to describe a little bit about just describe Collingswood's business sure. community and really how important is a vibrant business community to a town like Collingswood? Sure. So Collingswood's about two and a half square miles. We have 14,000 people. We're an inner ring suburb uh, just outside um, the city of Camden in New Jersey, um, which, uh, and, and we're a bedroom suburb of, uh, of Philadelphia. Um, 
I imagine that term is going to go away now because that means you sleep at home and then go drive to the office. And right. that probably is going to be going away a great deal. But we're, uh, we're 14,000 people. Um, you know, I, I moved here from Philadelphia um, and we, um, way back when, what we loved about it was um, it had a great mix of housing. Uh, it had a real neighborhood feel. I always describe to people that it's, it still feels like I'm, I'm in the city. Uh, there's just more trees. Um, and so it's a, it's a real, um, it's a true inner ring suburb. It's got, as we talked, I said earlier, the great bones, it's built like the old, uh, towns, you know, it's, it's, uh, I always joke that if we were, uh, a, a Sim city project, you know, for mm -hmm. people that go back to playing that game, you would get all kinds of bonus points to build it the way Collingswood is. Um, central downtown, you know, a business district has, uh, has only been an important part of a town since, oh, like ancient Rome. Like <laughs> it has always been the, the core of any, you know, strong metropolitan area. And then we've got a, a good central business district that's very walkable. And then as you move out from that, you've got the, your, the, your dense housing is concentrated on that run with a little less dense housing moving out further, a little dense housing, less dense housing um, moving out further from that. So uh, we are blessed with, um, for the most part, some great bones. Um, I, you know, I, I used to always say we're like Mayberry. Um, but more and more, um, the young people don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so I actually had That's a reporter so from the New York Times, New York Times reporter. I once said, she asked me the same thing. You know, can you just describe town for a minute for me? And I said, like, people say, like, we're the Mayberry of, of South Jersey. And, and she, like, looked at me like, what are you, what are you talking about? And I said, Springfield? Like, do you know Springfield yeah. at all? You know, with the Simpsons? And she, she's like, oh, okay. All right, fine. Um, but um, yeah, we're really, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not a strong racial diverse community. It is a very, um, you know, we have, a, we have some diversity, but not a, not a ton. It has grown, mm -hmm. but it's not a ton. We have a strong um, uh, gay lesbian population in town that really was a conscious effort to attract them. Mm -hmm. um, and we have, because of that mix of housing, we have a real strong economic diversity. Um, you know, we've got really small little row houses to me back in the city, little towns. Yeah. Uh, and then we get the bigger houses around the park. Um, so our economic diversity is pretty strong. Uh, racial is growing. Um, and, uh, we have a, you know, a big LGBTQ community that, um, that you know, we love, we've supported. And like I said, did a lot of, uh, early day advertising and Philly gay news to attract them to come to Collingswood. Hey, look, it worked. You got my husband and me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> so I know. It's been, it's, it, it, it's been um, you know, I remember the first ads that we run. Main Street Realty was a big help with it. There were ads that we did uh, in the Philly Gay News, and they were about like a street with a bunch of ducks walking across the street. And it said, a Collingswood traffic jam. Okay? <laughs> it was blocking a car. And uh, I'm telling you, we, we actively promoted and pushed um to increase that diversity because um it was we were doing that same time we we're trying to build the arts up and you know 
Oh, there's this fellow, Richard Florida, professor, um, a big land use uh, expert, and he's written, you know, big articles. And his whole, which I read a long time ago with my work, and he, um, his whole, his push was the sign of a recovering town is a growth in gay and lesbian population, a growth in the arts. He said, there are the two bellwethers everywhere that you will find uh, that come about. And we actively worked on it. Yeah, and I think one of the things for folks who, who may not know this, Collingswood had a history of, um, <laughs> of duplexes and, and, and triplexes, uh, and there was a real uh, intentional effort, I think, to convert those back to single-family uh, dwellings. And uh, you have some, we uh, in our community, have some amazing homes, especially around uh, the night park um, that were uh, that were converted back to single family homes uh, in a really just lovely way and and that yeah. certainly i think I think helped and uh, the lesbian and gay population uh, were uh, were big investors i think in that effort yeah and and just one thing on that whole the whole push we did with the duplex conversion is um, you know recently i 'm getting uh, criticism from people that like that 's a sign that we're anti-tenant, that, you know, we're against poor people and we don't want people, you know, we don't want people renting. And um, uh, a lot of those people that are making those criticisms weren't here while we were doing that, but it really, it's not at all, not in, in the least. The effort that we did back then was that homes that were built, it's all about the structure, homes that were built to be a single family home in the 70s have been converted into duplexes and triplexes. Uh, you know, mom and dad raise the family, dad, the kids all grow, dad passes away, mom's having trouble hanging on to the house. So they started carving up the house into three and four units. And the stresses that put on neighborhoods um, was huge. Um, yeah. You know, you got the cars for four households, you got kids in, our, in the school system for four households when it was never intended to handle that kind of, of density in a single building. So buildings that, I mean, we have a lot of apartments. We have a ton sure. of apartments, as you know. Mm -hmm. We've got a thousand unit apartment complex, <laughs> you know, in the middle of our town, uh, four gigantic towers. Um, but that effort was a big, big effort. It was, uh, I remember we, we always thought it, it, one of the reasons it worked, we had a great name for it. It was called the, uh, the glad to be single again program. <laughs> And, uh, and, and we did, we converted almost 300 properties yeah. um, back, did a loan program, did a lot of pretty aggressive things to try to encourage people to um, take it back. Yeah. And it, it was, it was replicated by quite a few uh, towns and communities yeah. uh, across yeah. the region. So let, let me, let me ask you about, um, about some of the safety uh, protocols as it relates to mm -hmm. the pandemic and uh, business continuity. So I've been really struck by the safety practices of the business. I stopped by Occasionette recently. I had to get a, a mm -hmm. gift for a friend. Uh, they were diligently counting the number of people coming into uh, the shop, asking some folks to wait outside until other customers uh, left. Uh, hand sanitizer at the entrance throughout the store, wiping things down. Similar safety protocols at Bauhaus where I get the hair trimmed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these practices are required by the state. Are there things you've asked our shops and restaurants to do from a safety perspective that are beyond the guidance of the state? Yeah, no, there's really not any local uh, steps that we've taken. We don't have any health officers or public health, you know, uh, capacity. Uh, and early on, the governor, um, one of his executive orders um, basically said, and towns have no authority to do anything beyond what we're ordering. Uh, because I know in the early days, um, we did, we, I know one specific issue was in contact with the county because as things were starting to shut down and, and things were breaking loose, we were, I was, you know, kind of concerned about the self-service coffee areas like in Wawa's and stuff that sure. were just, you know, wide open. And, um, and so we got the county on board and the county kind of shut that down. And like within 48 hours, the state shut it down and also issued an order saying, look, counties and towns can't do anything. Okay. We're going to, we're going to set the rules, which we're very happy to have that happen because um, we, we just don't have the capacity for it. We're, we have, don't have the personnel on board to do that. We, we pick up trash and try to catch bad guys. We don't have public health officers. We rely yeah. on uh, the big boys for that. Yeah. And I think we're all fortunate that we were in a state that from the very beginning was um, uh, practicing and implementing some really sound uh, public health protocols. So, yeah, listen, for all the abuse I know that um, the governor has taken, there's no, I mean, I got a lot, some pushback from our businesses upset about some of the rules and stuff. And I, and I I would tell them all, listen, if you had told me, you know, when I started all this, that I'd be involved in trying to keep my community safe because there are people that I know who have died from this. Um, uh, You know, I would have told you like, that is not what I signed up for. Like, that's not what I signed up for. Um, and the, to whenever you have to do, take a, make a decision to draw a line, um, the people that are closest to that line will always be objective. Um, but you got to draw a line. And he's really, I just think he's done a pretty good job of like hanging in and drawing that line uh, effectively. It doesn't always all 100% make sense, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, and He's been, um, I can tell you, he's been more than responsive. I, um, I spent some, a little bit of time with him when he was campaigning and he had given me, it's crazy him, he gave me a cell number. And when we <laughs> ran into some problems on notifications for police and fire of positives, okay? So yeah. we went through issues at the beginning of this where when an ambulance call would go out and, and a squad would respond, we could not get information if there was a positive in that house. And so it led to great inefficiencies because it meant everybody had to be in full PPE to go to the house because we didn't know. Okay. And so you're wasting the PPE if there's not, you know, it's just, it's just very ineffective. And, and we couldn't get any straight answers. So I texted the governor and he got back to me in like 15 minutes, connected us with the, the, the AG uh, the state police, we had answers and they set a pot, like they set a policy with respect to HIPAA exceptions mm-hmm. to let that, to let that happen. So it's really hard. Um, everybody in this state, I think has really been doing a good job, um, of trying to keep it safe. Also trying to keep our businesses alive. 
you know, also keep yeah. trying to make them survive. Thanks for sharing that story about being able to personally contact the governor. I think it's important for folks to, to really understand, you know, how this works um, and that yep. there are real people uh, in our oh, communities yeah. who are working to, to make this uh, better um, in terms of the response and, and more effective. Um, just yeah, let me, I, I'm going to tell you one more. Let me, let me tell you one more with the governor on, sure. on, on the whole, you know, governing in a good way. He, um, the reason I met with him when he was campaigning is his folks contacted me and I sat with him for two hours at Sabrina's okay, mm-hmm. in the afternoon um, because he wanted to know how we did what we did in Collingswood. Okay. So he's campaigning to be governor of the state and he, he, put the time in to talk with us to get our experience on what mm-hmm. it was. So we could, you know, if he got elected, it could help him on, you know, and, and help him try to think about how can we help towns do that? Um, I told him when we got done, I said, look, I've been doing this a long time. No, <laughs> nobody has asked. <laughs> nobody ever. People have said very nice things about us. They've, right. you know, congratulated. They're very nice things. Nobody has asked how, what can we do to help? <laughs> uh, he did it before he was elected. And that was really, really impressed me as really, um, um, and I think he's kind of run things the, the same way. He's a very personable down to earth guy for a guy that's had great success in his life. He's uh, you know, he's just another guy. You touched a little bit on the reaction of business owners to uh, to the protocols. Can you talk a little bit about how some of those conversations have gone? Um, overall, it's good. Overall, people understand. Um, but there, there certainly are issues. Um, uh, we, we have a lot of restaurants in Collingswood. Um, you know, the last 10, 15 years, we've, we've you know, de- really developed a, a, a reputation as a great restaurant location. And we don't just have a lot of restaurants. We have a lot of great restaurants like james beard finalist restaurants here in town yeah, my wa- um, my waistline is a clear indicator of that. <laughs> <laughs> well through the takeout they you know the takeout runs they make me a star at home because that's they're the night that daddy's cooking um but they um there have been issues with respect to like as indoor dining has opened up um you know about how the seating works because while we have great restaurants we don't have large seating capacities so when you go into a small floor pan plan where they're sitting, you know, 60 people and you're only allowed 25%, um, that means, you know, you you got like a, a family of six is, is hitting your quota. You know, yeah. it's, it's so small. Um, and, um, so, so it's been difficult that way. Um, it's also difficult because they are so small, their margins, you know, they, they, um, they need to be functioning and, you know, operating all the time to make it work. Um, it, it is, you know, I think so far, you know, part of this, I'll, I'll put some blame that nothing else has happened out of Washington, but the, the PPP program, a lot of the early stimulus that was done really helped, yeah. um, really helped tide people through. But my concern is over the next three months, uh, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's not only they're expecting a surge of the, of the virus, but they're the, the, the business failures and closures, I think is going to be exacerbated. Um, and 
we we've already done this whole renaissance thing once um and like i'm i'm really i don't want to have to do it again like i want us to have enough at the end of this um i mean we have two restaurants i already that like are not reopening yeah um and uh and it's gonna and we're not even into the winter months like it's gonna it's just gonna be a lot worse so um we've been starting a campaign to urge you know really push everybody don't forget it um we're trying to expand delivery services with them because uh you know winter hits it's gonna be tough to get you know not gonna be as anxious to go driving to go pick up food um but yeah it's gonna be um it, it will be very difficult for them Frustration at times, but for the most part, they've been, you know, pretty understanding of it. Mayor, how important is the holiday season for a business community like Collingswood's? Boy, it's just, it's just everything. Um, you know, mom and pop, smaller, um, smaller businesses like this, um, they can, they can survive on great holiday seasons. Um, it, it was really uplifting, you know, it was just the Thanksgiving weekend this last weekend and, uh, Haddon Avenue was buzzing. I mean, it was, our downtown was really busy. Um, it was, it was great to see. It's, I don't know. I'm hoping that translates into dollars. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, uh, um, you know, places are being very conscious of how many people are in. So, you know, you saw people standing in lines outside stores. Um, so that is going to have an impact on what they do in business that day because a lot of uh, not fanatical shoppers like me won't stand in line seven deep to yeah. wait to go buy a Christmas card. You know, um, it's, it's um, so it's that, it's that balance. It was busy. There was activity how it generates into a bottom line that that's going to remain to be seen. Yeah. I mean, there's an energy on Haddon Avenue. That is mm -hmm. very reminiscent of my time. I, I li also lived in Philadelphia for a period of time. Where in um, Philly did you grow up? Uh, you so I, I grew up in Audubon Park, actually, so right around the okay. corner. But uh, for about okay. 10 years, I lived at uh, 11th and Pine and then over in the Fairmount section uh, by the Got it. I'm Northeast Philly. There you go. Born and bred. Yep. yep. Uh, loved it. I loved my time over there. And it really was a really uh, important factor moving to a town like Collingswood, the idea of having that downtown, that 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 city experience, but mm -hmm. still, you know, being a, a nice uh, a nice single family home with a nice yard, yeah. uh, the trees, as you say. Um, yeah, we get invited to all these planning conferences, and there's this, you know, new urbanism, and there's all these different words for it, and I and I always kid them that like, look, it's I'm just kind of replicating Frankfurt and Cotman, like mm -hmm. that that's what I grew up in and I loved. And that's what this is. Uh, it's Frankfurt and Cotman. It's just a different version of it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I did. So I, I noticed like you, the activity and I think I had to go to had in culinary that day. I was getting some, some salmon, some cod and their bacon uh, for the record is amazing. Yep. So I, I'm curious because when I think about your role, I think about the word balance because I feel like you have to balance so many different uh, interests and the views of so many different people. So kind of getting back to this idea of the vibrant downtown and the people buzzing about, 
there were a lot of people, masked people, people wearing masks and, and mm -hmm. I think to the best of their ability, uh, following distance uh, protocols. How do you balance public safety in that context and the needs for shops and restaurants to not just stay open, but to succeed, to thrive? You've touched on this a little bit more about your ability to kind of influence decisions that are made more at the, the county and state level. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you balance all of those competing interests? Well, we, we try to have a lot of communication. We try to talk to them a whole lot, okay? Um, because um, we, we, we basically ask them, like, what do you need? What else can we do, okay? And we've gone through, you know, when it was curbside pickups and no indoor dining, we, you know, we kind of reconfigured the street and changed, you know, parking signage yes. and changed it up so that curbside was easier and, you know, limited parking to 15 minutes in key spots so that people could do pickups easier. Uh, when we got to indoor dining, we, um, I'm sorry, outdoor dining, when it opened up, we, we re, you know, we put concrete barriers to either create walkways off the sidewalk or let restaurants put tables out in the street. Um, again, you know, balancing now that people are coming out and going to be doing dining, we want them to have a place to park, right. but you know, we also need to now create the floor space. Um, we've gotten, you know, we, we've gotten very flexible on a lot of rules. Um, there's, there's not, um, there's not much heavy duty enforcement going on, on, uh, on anybody these days. Um, you know, it's the, the, one of my favorite hashtags early in this was hashtag airport rules, right? <laughs> that, uh, you know, at the, at the airport, you, you would see, you could see people having breakfast, having dinner, sleeping, you know, mm -hmm. like there just was no time of day, no rules. And we've kind of adapted that, that we want to keep everybody safe. But, you know, once you get below keeping them safe, hey, you find a way to make this work for you. We will do all we can to help accommodate that. Um, can't do all of it. You know, can't help everybody. Um, but we can we can get a lot. I think overall we've we've been able to, you know, address some people. Their physical location doesn't allow us to do certain things. You know, there's just some limitations. But for the most part, we've tried to adapt. This pandemic is kind of like a, a an ex, is like a blow up of what we've been doing forever. Um, kind of adapting, trying different things. You know, seeing if it works. Uh, we'll take a shot doing this here. If it works, maybe we can replicate it over someplace else, um, but not, not be afraid to do it different. Iterate, iterate, iterate. Yeah. Um, Mayor, can, in the minutes that you have, that we have left, can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about Collingswood Cares and the work being done to support families in need during COVID? Sure. So um, Collingswood Cares um, has been, uh, gosh, late 90s, I guess we started it. Uh, we had a, a young lady, a, a child in town that had some some pretty severe medical issues and, and um, they needed some money. So we raised a bunch of money. And as we were getting to the end of that and, and things were going okay for her, we realized that there were a lot of families. And so Collingswood Cares originally started out until this pandemic has pretty much been to help uh, families of children with chronic or life-threatening conditions. Uh, we've helped a family that had a child with uh, cystic fibrosis. And we've helped a bunch of other folks that needed, uh, you know, uh, items that the insurance didn't cover, uh, babysitting help, uh, you know, get food to the house, uh, 
help them in all kinds of different ways. Uh, we have a bunch of volunteers that help with it. Um, and we've, and we've raised money for it. Um, the pandemic, we kind of reshuffled our, um, our uh, mission statement, officially changed things to be helping, you know, families, you know, with children, still focused on, on the kids, but families basically that are struggling through um, this pandemic. And um, we've got like a dozen families that we've been regularly helping and a lot more that needed some, some individual help at one time or another. A lot of it is food. A lot of it is getting food. Uh, we do it through food gift cards, uh, you know, at the supermarket. Um, sometimes with some people, they've been unable to go out. Um, and so we'll have somebody will get, you know, buy stuff for them and drop it off. Um, we're very, very proud of it. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's been a great help through this. Uh, right now we're, we've got an adopt a family, um, program that we're getting going. So if anybody's interested in helping, it's, uh, the website is, uh, calls, C-O-L-L-S, callscares.org. Um, you can sign up there if you'd like to help. You can donate through there. And you can also let us know confidentially if you need some help. Uh, we're more than happy to lend a hand. And it's really been, um, Collingswood has responded great to it. And it's been a wonderful thing to be able to help some people that need, need it. And we'll put a link to Collingswood Cares on ForThePublicPod.com. Great. Great. Thank you. Jim Alley, citizen leader, citizen servant, mayor of Collingswood. Thanks for your work and service, Mayor, and Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you and your family. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a great one. Be safe. Wear a mask. From Collingswood, we head southeast in our state, arriving in Hamilton, New Jersey, blueberry capital of the world and birthplace of Dr. Jill Biden, former second lady and future first lady of the United States. Hamilton has a thriving downtown of its own with shops, restaurants, and even breweries aplenty. While success may have many authors, the success of downtown Hamilton comes in large part to the efforts of my next guest, Cassie Iacovelli, executive director of Main Street Hamilton. For 12 years now, Cassie has been an organizer, a planner, an advocate, an evangelist for this vibrant and diverse community. And it is my pleasure to have her here for the public. Cassie, thanks so much for joining me. Good to see you. Before we dive into all the uh, goodness of Hamilton, I'd like to take a bit of time and take a little walk down memory lane uh, to showcase a bit of your journey. I first had the pleasure of meeting you, wait for it, 26 years ago. 26 Ouch. years. Ouch. <laughs> uh, you were assistant dean of campus life at Ryder University, mentoring and uh, developing young adults to become student leaders. You left Ryder uh, after nearly 30 years of service. How did the ending of that chapter lead to the start of this one where you are creating value for the business community and the people of Hamilton? Well, I would love to tell you that this was a well thought out plan, but it wasn't. Um, I left Ryder in 2008, as you mentioned, and the intent was that I was, quote, retiring. And we moved to South Jersey because, and Hamilton, because my husband um, became the Dean of Enrollment at Stockton. Um, when he was offered that position, I, didn't, I had no intention of leaving Ryder University, and he commuted for two years. 
from uh, Newtown, Pennsylvania to Stockton University. But um, it just with our youngest daughter graduating from college and the fact that I had originally been from South Jersey, I was, you know, raised as a child in Berlin, New Jersey. And my husband was raised in Somerdale. Um, we decided that moving to South Jersey, it was good timing to do so. My parents were getting older and my husband's father um, was on his own. And we just thought with my husband working down here, we were from this area, our parents were in this area, why not? And we picked Hamilton kind of just on a kind of a fluke. Um, because it, you know, I, I actually went to a funeral for one of the students at Ryder's for a grandfather and mm. somebody gave me directions. I, even though I was from Berlin, I actually didn't know anything about Hamilton. Um, and somebody told me to go over the tracks and then pick up 206. And when I just actually went through the downtown, it just seemed like a kind of nice place, you know, at the time it was um, nowhere near looking like it is now, but it just seemed like a town. That was something that was important. Sure. And when I made a right and looked at the houses, it looked like a kind of nice place. So we moved here. My intent is to sort of lay low and relax after 30 years of working with college <laughs> students. And my very first week, um, at that time, I was actually still working at Ryder. I commuted for two years, two months before I left Ryder University from Hamilton. And I happened to see a local newspaper while I was waiting for a prescription. I was a new resident and I had to wait a little longer. And on a, one of the pages, there was this job announcement for executive director of Main Street. And um, I looked at what they were asking for credential wise. And I was like, it seemed like a lot of transferable opportunities. You know, it seemed very, very doable. And again, I wasn't really looking, but I didn't know anybody in Hamilton. And I went home and I said to my husband, I don't know, I think I might apply for this, this Main Street job. I don't really know anything about Main Street, but what they're looking for, I think I have what it takes. And he kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And <laughs> the bottom line is before I even left Ryder, um, I became the executive director of Main Street and they were kind of tough. They were, they didn't know me and that, you know, I kind of wanted like a couple months, like, hey, can I have the summer off? And they were like, no, either you come and start in two weeks, because they had been without a director for quite a few months. And it was kind of an ultimatum, like, either you take it or we're going to go with somebody else. And um, I said, okay, you know, didn't know anybody, what the heck, how hard can it be? And that's kind of how I stumbled into Hamilton. Well, and to give people an idea, you know, I think that when you are in a position like you were in at Ryder, um, you know, I've spent 20 plus years on college campuses, uh, working for colleges and universities and, uh, folks in, in your type of role coordinate, I mean, literally hundreds of activities annually. Uh, and we're talking about large programs that in some cases are programs designed for thousands of students. Uh, so, you know, this isn't something where you're just, you know, planning a barbecue in like the resident hall quad or something right. like this. Right. Like this is big scale. So when you say that things are transferable and you take a look at some of the festivals, and I know you had a tree lighting recently, um, those types of things uh, uh, I, I think are completely transferable, right? That would be a completely they were. transferable The, the biggest scale. difference though, that was interesting. Um, first off, I think the group that interviewed me, they were a little surprised uh, matter of fact, I laughed because I walked with the woman who interviewed me. She was the president of the board. And 
the way she introduced herself, she put her hand out with my resume in her hand. I was on my way to go to work and she said, stop by on the way to work. And uh, she put her hand out. She said, this is the salary and it will never change. Do you still want to talk to me? And she told me the salary and you know, it really hasn't ever changed. It was, it was uh, about one third of what I was making at Ryder with no benefits and two weeks of vacation, no, two weeks of vacation instead of the, I think I had accumulated quite a bit of vacation from sure. working so many years. In any event, you know, the difference, the biggest difference, first difference was I had a staff at Ryder and it was actually a pretty big staff with a lot of, um, you know, support staff as well as people with masters, students, all that stuff. Come into Hamilton, you're kind of by yourself in an office. There isn't anybody answering the phone or there isn't. Uh, and I think there was concern on the part of the people interviewing me, like, are you sure, you know, um, that you, you really think you want to do this? Now, they had no idea the amount of physical labor that even though I had a staff at Ryder, what it takes to put some of these events on, Midnight Madness, mm -hmm. um, dragging things around for Cranberry Fest and things like that. So I think they were kind of underestimating my ability to understand the physical nature of the kind of work that this position had. But the other thing that took a lot of getting used to was I was used to working with young people from 18 to 22, 23. And the average volunteer that worked with me here in Hamilton was maybe 70 to 75. Like yeah. my treasurer, she was 89. Um, and so my ability to communicate from you know, mature adult versus, quote, an immature adult was a really big transition for me. But outside of that, you know, being able to work with people, recognizing the importance of good communication, recognizing the importance of resource acquisition, you have to figure out how to find the money, knowing how to put a plan together, knowing how to do all the parts that make an event successful, showing gratitude when the event is over, all that was very similar to a college environment. And the train is about to go by because we are in, a, I am in a historic train station. There it is. I love so there it. There it is. So people will know that it is yeah. an authentic train station. Uh, folks, you're listening to this. You can't see. I'm, I'm watching Cassie on screen, windows behind her, and uh, the shadow of the train going by. So, correct. Uh, where would we be without our senior volunteers? I remember when I worked for Congressman Holt. Uh, up up there and actually right right by Ryder uh, Lawrenceville is in the 12th congressional district and we had a a, a vibrant uh, active uh, diligent staff of volunteers and just like you said I think the average age was around 70 70 years old the backbone and you know what what had initially felt like I was really putting people out because they were obviously volunteers and there wasn't an end result like when you're working with students, let's be real, when you're working with students, it's a lot of volunteer too. But with students, you can always dangle the resume and the, the importance of something to talk about in your interview. And I didn't have that kind of anchor to discuss with you know the more mature, or as you call it, the senior audience. But what I found as time went on was that they thanked me because it's vitally important as you age to feel purposeful. And I have received it over the 12 years here. It is the biggest part of the success is the amount of uh, generosity in time and talent and effort that people put forth with not an ounce of money coming their way. It's just amazing. Yeah. In my um, 
well, one of the, one of the goals of the podcast uh, is to highlight various ways that people can be involved with benefiting their neighborhoods, like really tangible ways to be able to do that work, either full-time like you're doing or, or part-time as, as a volunteer. So part of this is profiling positions like yours, so people are more aware of governmental roles, but also non-governmental roles uh, that make a positive impact in our community. So we've talked a little bit about the nature of the work that you do. How would you define your role and what does a typical day or week look like for you? Well, I think it's important to just say that it's a Main Street Hamilton program, which is a nonprofit. It's a 501c nonprofit. Um, in Hamilton, this program has been here for 27 years. So there have been other South Jersey towns that have asked me to come in because they watch what's going on in Hamilton. And they want what, you know, how do you do it? How, how can we do this? And I say, well, you know, um, if you have the will and you have the patience and the determination, um, after 27 years, you can have what we have in Hamilton. They just sort of look at me. But there are people that are involved here in Hamilton that have been doing this very diligently for 27 years. It's hard for me to even grasp. I can tell you for after 12 years, of being actively involved, um, it's, it's, it's humbling to me to see the level of dedication. A town like Hamilton is what it is because people rolled up their sleeves, got involved, and stayed with it no matter what. And even when people said it couldn't be done. So a typical day for me, you know, is I come to work usually around 9.30, 9, 9.30. And depending, I mean, I work all day and I Right now, my desk is covered with a lot of papers, but that was always the case at Ryder, too, because <laughs> I've managed to do exactly what I did at Ryder. I've managed to get myself involved in way more than I ever thought I would get myself mm -hmm. involved in. Yes, indeed. I have way too many people that I think are the greatest people that I have to help or be mentored to or whatever the heck I want to do. But, you know, at this point, we just got through a, a pretty aggressive uh, event and transition um, you know, we have tradition, we usually do over 35 events a year, but in a COVID-19 environment, we've had to shift. And um, we've been, I think, very creative and we've shifted to virtual. Um, our tree lighting uh, was done through a film. So now I can put on my credentials that I know how to write a film with two incredibly talented colleagues, volunteers. John Bradley did the filming. Um, and helped with the story creation and a woman named Dawn Baldwin who owns a dance studio. And the three of us created the storyline and we didn't know how to bring the tree lighting to life. It's a very big tradition in our town, but we decided to go the route of a film, which is just a whole different set of lenses, um, no, no pun intended. And um, <clears throat> you know, the fact that by through a story and some, uh, one of our town councilmen just having an envelope sent home with an SC on it, the storyline was he shows up at the tree and doesn't know why he's there. And then we just reenacted. It's sort of like almost a version of the Scrooge where the camera goes on and a, somebody starts dancing and he's like, wow, look at that. And then, then that gets done. And then he, you know, so it was kind of a cool film, but the culmination is the fire truck comes down and Santa gets off the truck and all that. So the ability to, to do a film to sort of capture your tree lighting and have everybody chat, you know, tune in on a local TV station. Or, you know, we're now doing a virtual um, kind of a reindeer looking for the blueberries to feed the reindeers because the elves lost them. It's a virtual scavenger <laughs> hunt. And 
they have to be fed here. Or our third Thursdays that we do every month, we never stopped having them thanks to our art clubs. They did everything virtual and we provided a lot of really great um, commentaries, um, music. We did a lot of on-site um, crafts that people build and, and uh, created a fellowship. And then we, little by little, we were able to open up. So that's what we've been involved in right now. We're trying to reinvent some of our, we have a wreath walk going on, but a lot of times it's event planning and coordination um, because we're nonprofit. Everything we do starts at zero. There's no money. And then my, my ability or the board that I report to, our ability to seek sponsorships, grants. I do a lot of grant writing. I'm very involved in grants right now. Um, and through the state um, who receive money from the federal government. Um, and because we are an MPP district, which is a neighborhood preservation program district, we were able to receive some significant COVID relief funding that um, took a lot of work, but we're very excited about the impact that it has had. I'm very, very grateful to the state director who's been working with us and his team to guide us in that process. But we were able to provide 27 downtown businesses with rent relief. And oh, we were great. also able to purchase um, outdoor heaters, all sorts of stuff. So bottom line is that takes a lot of time to coordinate the decision making and all the uh, with a lot of help. I have a board. I have a lot of great people that work with me. So a typical day is working with a lot of different people to kind of maneuver. I, we do a newsletter. So I have somebody I work with with a newsletter. Um, things, it could be the summer and we're clean up. It could be the fall or putting up corn stalks. I find somebody to donate corn stalks. You know, it's just finding and helping um, kind of gear people. How, you know, do I have a tree lighting? You got to have lights on the tree. So in order to have lights on the tree, you got to figure out how to get the lights, how to find the money to get the lights on the tree. And in this case, our mayor was very generous this year, and I'm grateful to that. But it's, it doesn't just happen. That's all I can say. These things, flowers don't show up in the downtown. We find people that donate flowers, and then we find people who will plant the flowers, and then we have people that will take the dead flowers out when it's over. So it's, it's kind of a whole different world that I never even, I took it for granted. I never mm -hmm. even knew that the town I raised my family in was a Main Street. I loved my town, Newtown, Pennsylvania. I thought it was so beautiful. I thought it was everything that I wanted to create in my next stage of my life, which is why we moved to Hamilton. I never thought about how it got there. Yeah. And now I know. Yeah, now no, that's exactly right. And I think one of the great things about what, at least what I hope to, to showcase as we do this podcast episode to episode is the work that just regular neighbors of our communities are doing either that they are supporting with what they're able to donate um, in uh, or, or provide in terms of sponsorship. Some mm -hmm. of the examples there you mentioned uh, or what they're organizing in their own right. Uh, last episode, we talked to a resident of Millville, New Jersey, who mm -hmm. DJ Cottrell, who organized uh, a coat drive for the local Vineland family shelter. Mm -hmm. uh, that coat drive, he is one person, uh, he was able to provide for enough new coats to keep 160 people warm. That's amazing. Uh, and, and that's just the work of people. And, and they're doing this every day in our neighborhoods and communities. So um, it's good to be able to, to profile and, and, and share these stories. In my conversation uh, earlier in this episode with Mayor Malley, he underscored the importance of the holiday season for the business community in Collingswood. How are you attracting people to Hamilton during a time when 
many people would feel just more comfortable maybe not going into stores or being around gatherings of people. So how are you balancing that? Well, because money's always been a challenge here. We've gotten quite savvy with social media, um, but also we've gotten very good at grant acquisition. So I'm very grateful, again, to the state of New Jersey because we also receive a travel and tourism grant for Visit New Jersey. And so um, thank God we had it for 2020. So a good part of our efforts go into marketing. And I already mentioned, he'll be very happy if everybody listens to this, John Bradley, but you know he's a young professional. So I told him that he was just wonderfully talented and now he's like so sought out, I can hardly get my hands on him. But at the time, when he first just dropped by on his skateboard by my office, um, you know, he does a lot of commercials. He and I are kind of very creative together and we're able to create kind of story lines, if you will, not as comprehensive as the film I just told you about with the tree lighting, but we tried to, you know, this past summer we marketed, well, initially we really marketed our curbside and our takeout and that we were safe. That was one of our 30 second commercials and it got a lot of hits. But then we moved into the craft beverage industry and we knew right off the bat that we'd have to shift from promoting events to kind of promoting experiences. And so we, we show, showcased our, we have five craft breweries here in our town and we did a major kind of creative campaign. We, cre we called it a, a brew chow and we did that on a marketing point of view, but we also did it um, with a video. And then in the holiday season, we pushed out Small Business Saturday commercial with our video. We also pushed out um, a holiday, we have a, a big holiday commercial that just went out yesterday and it's gonna hit all sorts of markets. So I think our video, I mean the tree lighting, our monthly newsletter that we showcase the wreath wall, the Operation Santa Helpers looking for the blueberries, the film, the decorations, um, we, our businesses went above and beyond. And we, we continually try to send out visuals through our messaging that shows that people are wearing masks, that people are really conscientious about safety. But on the other hand, you don't have to give up that holiday, uh, that sense of holiday getting together, which is, you know, why we really push the outdoor dining. We jumped on that so quickly. And we, we really do believe that not only do people want to go in and buy a gift, but they might also just want to sit and have a drink or maybe sure. have something to eat. So we, we have lots of outdoor heaters. We have lots of parklets that we were able to uh, put out there immediately um, back in August and really July. And um, I think when people drive through, the town looks aesthetically very appealing. So the truth of the matter is, I think, and, and quite honestly, we've been very vocal, vocal about our local community supporting each other and the fact that these are our family and these are our friends, these are our neighbors, and you know we, we have to take care of each other. So I'm very proud. I got to tell you, we only lost two businesses in this crisis. Wow. And one was already going to relocate to another town. Um, they wanted to go to the shore. And the other one had already made the decision that she needed to be at home caring. She wanted to be with her, her care for her mother. So, and in the meantime, five other businesses came in, which was hard to believe during COVID-19. So overall, our town looks good. And I think people are feeling drawn for an experience that keeps them in the holiday spirit. So I, I think it's been a lot of creative programming that's safe and virtual. 
It's newsletters that tell people what we have. It's definitely video on you know, social media and um, just capturing any way we can to get our name out in the public. I know Main Street America, which supports mm -hmm. programs like Main Street Hamilton, gets a good amount of support from corporate and charitable giving. How have you also been supported or enabled by your local county, state, or even the federal government? You mentioned a little bit about, uh, about grant dollars. And what is that relationship like between you and the work that you're doing, your, your board, and the relationship between, uh, between you and your local government in Hamilton? Well, I'll start with the local government. Um, we have a unique kind of political structure here, you know, Hamilton, Hamilton prides itself in doing things their own way. So <laughs> there are towns that have a Democratic Party, there are towns that have Republican parties, and then there's Hamilton that has Hamilton First. And they created Hamilton First, I believe it was 14 years ago. It was just a little bit before I got here. And this new group of younger, um, both sides were involved in this party who just felt like things had gridlocked. Interesting, right? They were way ahead of the curve. And they just ran on a ticket that they felt would push this town forward and that they were tired of both sides making no progress. So they made their own party up. And they continue to be in all, primarily in, well, right now they have the entire, the whole council was just voted in to be um, Hamilton first. But our leadership is very supportive. Um, they do provide... Uh, enough funding to compensate my position. They've done so, so for Main Street for forever since it started. That's a big thing in a in a very in a town that watches every dollar. This is a very fiscally conservative town, but I think the town as a whole, especially the leadership, has always felt very committed to the revitalization. The town was in, apparently in very bad shape. You know, um, when I came here. We had a lot less businesses and the town was just starting to look like it was improving. Um, but apparently people have really horrible stories about what this place looked like. Um, honestly, maybe even 17 or 18 years ago, um, it was, it, they did, children were told, don't ever go down there. They were, it was not mm. safe, it was not attractive. So I think the leadership has always felt that you know, the core of a community is their downtown, and this is something to be proud of. So we get tremendous support. I mean, for me to try to figure out how to respond to the tree lighting, I need, the tree needed to look better than ever. And that's why I called the mayor. And I just said, I don't want to lay this on you, but the truth is I can't pull off a tree lighting, you know, because I, I don't, I can't bring people out. But I, can't, I said, I think light is hopeful. And I think the ability to have the most beautiful tree that people talk about is what I'm asking. And in the past, I've always been able to get support from the mayor, but I've never laid the whole thing on him. Mm -hmm. And this time I was like, and I need you to pay for the whole thing. And, you know, <laughs> and there was no question. There was an immediate uh, level of understanding and support that this was a unique time. And so not only do we have a beautiful tree, we took all the old tree, all the old lights down, put brand new lights on, the thing is twinkling and sparkling. and you know, it was exactly what um, we needed. And I promised him that we would support that initiative with what, what we ended up doing with the film. But, you know, outside of that, the local sponsorships are vital. I mean, I can't do anything without the support. And I'm always really uh, genuinely touched. Like even in this COVID-19, 
there are some people that I didn't ask for the money. They just sent it knowing that we might need it. And, you know, we raise money creatively. We do a tree ornament, like our tree has ornaments. So of course, don't you want to have your name on a, on a piece of plywood in front of it that, says, <laughs> that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're the family that helps support the tree, but it was $25 a Christmas ball. But, you know, again, I was so like over, close to a hundred people did that. And that's a fundraiser for main street to do what it does. But in this existing situation with how many people are yeah. hurting, but, and then last but not least, the County has supported me. I has not me, but the main street program, I, I'm, I know how to go out and ask for money, but you know, in the beginning of the year, um, the Atlanta County uh, council for the arts, um, they, they provided me with a grant that allowed me, to put on the third Thursdays. Um, without that county grant, I could not have um, succeeded. Um, and recently with the state, I already mentioned the travel and tourism grant that I received. And then this recent MPP um, COVID relief um, uh, from the federal government that went to the state. And, you know, our governor was very aggressive in getting that into the Department of uh, um, Community Affairs. And then the director of the Community Affairs got it into our hands to really train us and tell us how we could get it out and, and literally get it in the hands of businesses. It's invaluable. I, I, we yeah. would not have a downtown right now without all these different levels of funding. Um, so it, it, it takes a village. There's no question about it. You've been doing this for 12 years now. So when you look and think of those things that you are most proud of, what are those successes? Well, Obviously, first and foremost, I'm proud of the fact that I feel so comfortable in a new town at this stage in my life. Um, so that in itself, I mean, I, I felt like a little shaky leaving Ryder <laughs> University. Uh, that was my identity. And I felt very, uh, for anybody that understands that if you, your whole identity has been in a protect, particular profession, and then at, at the, uh, you know, at the end, like in your mid fifties, you decide you want to start a new line of work. And again, I never expected that, but it ended up being that way. I'm, I'm proud that I've been able to call this my home and that the people of Hamilton have been um, really welcoming and, and opened their arms uh, really for somebody they didn't know and, and gave me the chance to do this job. Um, I'm sure they were really wondering, but I think they're all kind of glad they made that decision. I think so. Um, I'm very proud of the way the town looks. Um, I, our businesses, our business community, um, you know, we, we have received, initially I received some grant money when I first got here for facade grants, and we've been able to continue with our facade and signage grant program, thanks to another a plug for the New Jersey Manufacturer Insurance Group. They have supported uh, my efforts for over uh, 11 years, and that grant program has allowed me to work with new business owners and help them create the kind of signage and the kind of facade look that has only elevated the look of our downtown. It was a pretty shabby looking place, but that, that grant program has been a significant infuse of uh, the aesthetic look of our town. So I'm very proud of that. I'm also very proud of the work I've done with um, our Hispanic community, with the businesses, um, that was an area that I think my roots from a college environment, um, the very first business that I worked with was Las Lomas. Um, they, are the, they are the business that moved to a shore town this year. But Jose was only 25, so 
already mentioned my my uh, trying to adjust to the age difference. And when I when he was only like 24, 25, I was like, oh, I know how to talk to you. <laughs> so he and I worked together in our first um, our first uh, month together. And to tell you the truth, it was an awesome relationship. But I think he helped set the stage for how to how to really create a business that could be more multicultural than just uh, a business that was geared specifically to the Hispanic community. But that commitment um, has, I'm also very proud of, I've worked on something called the Hamilton Health Coalition. And it's, it's a really awesome group of people that are devoted for, you know, psychological and physical well-being, but geared specifically to the Latinx community. And I'm very, very proud of that group. I'm very proud to be a part of that group because our town is shifting in demographics. And I think it's just incredible when you can work with people um, who are looking to bridge the communication um, and identify ways that you could be of help to maybe uh, audiences that have been marginalized, but also uh, looking at the talent and developing the talent and, and watching leadership in a community that maybe was somewhat silent. And I'm, I'm really proud of that work, but I'm really proud of the group that I work with that it's not easy, it's, it's a little hard, and there's some growing pains for a community that maybe had a different identity, but they're growing and they're, they're actually opening their, their minds and their hearts to the situation, the shift. I think, I think honestly, I think we're gonna be um, maybe leaders in that area of showing towns that you know, we can all rise together. Um, and I guess outside that, I'm really proud of our events. You know, I think we do put on good events. That, that is good that I came from a campus activities background. And I think our events were really kind of smaller. But I think right now they're kind of, they're kind of, they're kind of really good. We get a really good draw from a lot of people. And um, I think one of the biggest draws for our town is the Eagle Theater. And obviously the Eagle Theater is in our district. It, um, I have, I cannot take any credit other than I was, part of the initial art district committee and I serve on, I'm the leader of the art advisory group, but that Eagle Theater group is an amazing story for maybe another story for another time, but you know, they are a tremendous draw to our community. They're, they're, they're the people that come into that theater come from Philadelphia, a lot of draw from Philly with the train here. So that, that link is so vital to the economic success of our downtown. So, you know, all the way around, I think that's, there's a lot. I have a lot that I'm very um, proud of, but I, I think mostly it's just the resilience, the, the, the inability for people that I work with to ever want to stop. They never stopped. And I haven't stopped. Now I'm, I'm part, I'm, I'm as crazy as everybody else. Now we are just, <laughs> we are pushing this through. We refuse. We refuse to go down. We refuse to have COVID-19 take us down. This business community, man, they're rolling up their sleeves and they're making it happen. And it's that determination that just makes it so worth it coming to work every day. When you left Ryder, you could have done any number of things, uh, including, frankly, nothing. <laughs> that does sound appealing sometimes, yeah. <laughs> so why, why do you serve in this way? You know, I, oh, that's a good question. I think the best answer I can give, I know no other way. Um, I was, I've been blessed with really good parents. 
Um, my dad, this is going to sound like I'm making a political commercial, but I'm not. In my town of Berlin, uh, there had not been a Democratic Party for many, many years. And as a, as a young high school kid, my dad talked to all seven of, I'm one of seven kids, and had said he was going to start the Democratic Party because it was America and you need two parties to vote for it. And he did it out of commitment to the American way. His, his feeling was it's not healthy to never have another side to vote for. There's not a choice. And so I watched him methodically in a very, um, obviously a dominant uh, environment that was not, at that time, was more geared towards the Republican Party. Um, I watched him work really hard and, uh, and actually resurrected the party and actually got elected. He and another neighbor that he convinced and then eventually became the president. And so of the council. But what I saw beyond that was that he got very involved in traditions. So it's just almost ironic that I followed suit, but I didn't intend to do this. But you know, a thing like the 4th of July parade in Berlin is a longstanding over 60 year tradition. And my father was the leader of that effort for over probably 40 years. I mean, he did it for a long time and with a lot of energy and time, even after he retired, he was very involved in the St. Vincent de Paul, literally into his mid seventies. And I, I just think my mother was a musician and played at a lot of different churches. They were both devoted to the St. Vincent de Paul. And I, I heard their stories about the impact they were having on feeding people, clothing people, paying people's electric bill. So I've always felt like there's an obligation to pay it forward. Um, but I also, I have a lot to give. And um, I, I, didn't I didn't realize it because I was kind of burned out when I left Ryder and it was a little slow trying to get back into a new work environment. So it was a kind of painful first year or two here. But, you know, now that I've been doing this for 12 years and I should probably be just like calling it a day. My husband's been retired now for two years. Um, but and I think he thought when we moved here, he's like, oh, you're, I'm going to come home from work and we're going to have Cassie's going to have dinner on the table <laughs> and we're going to have a life where we watch the news together. And now he's just like, oh, we're back into it. He's like, are you coming home tonight? You know, are we going to eat tonight? You know, I'll make dinner tonight. You know, so it's kind of funny that, you know, it's not the job. It's me. It's just that I like making things dynamic. I like being, I like bringing people together. I, I just, I just like, I just like caring. You know, I can't explain it, but it's kind of cool to be in a really challenging environment right now. It's hard. It's a hard political battle out there. It was, COVID has just been so hard. The impact of it economically, emotionally has been very real. And it's very gratifying to feel like you've had a part in helping to make it a little better. And I, I'm glad when grandmothers come up to me and tell me how grateful they are that they can do the Easter extravaganza with their granddaughter in the downtown, or somebody will say the real estate is better, the price they got for their home because our town looks better. You know, you feel like you've done your part, or like I said before, working with the Latina X community. It's just, there's nothing better than feeling that you've helped make people feel valued and bringing people that maybe have been invisible to up and um isn't that what it's all about like it's not for me people always saying 
know, do you want to have more money? What, what is money at this stage in my life? What money do I need? I don't need money. I have a roof over my head. I'm not worried about whether I'm going to eat tonight or not. So if I'm still breathing and I still have something to give, why the heck wouldn't I do it? Cassie Iacovelli, Executive Director of Main Street Hamilton, Citizen Leader. Thank you for joining me for the public. You're welcome. It's great to be with you again, Jack. While there is so much uncertainty out there for our, so many of our downtown businesses, there is good news. There are still many holiday shopping days left. Maybe this year, those of us who can should spend a bit less on Amazon and instead shop our own main streets with a bit more gusto. After all, we need our downtown businesses as much as they need us. As the saying goes, we're perfect together. That brings us to the end of another episode. I'll leave you with this. Whether you get your podcasts through Google, Apple, Spotify, or somewhere else, reviews help to expose the show to even more listeners. Good reviews are appreciated. I'd like to thank my guests, Jim Malley and Cassie Iacovelli. Until next time, I'm Jack Klett, and this is For the Public. Merry Christmas, and happy holidays, South Jersey.